Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. So during this month, we've been walking through a series called American Idols. And um, we're talking about idolatry, the idea that we set things up above God in our lives. And often when you read the Bible, we say, man, it's hard to relate. I mean, they set up real idols, like legit idols, and they would bow down and worship stone or they would worship wood. And, and it's so easy to say, well, I don't have that problem or we don't have that problem in our society. But the reality is an idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life, the any, anything that you begin to worship uh, instead of simply acknowledge as good. You, you begin to say, man, my life has to be tied to this thing. And so as a result, an idol can establish itself in your life, whether or not you'll realize it. Some of us, we idolize our past and we idolize the way things used to be. Some of us, we idolize the fact that I believe I've got to earn this kind of money, and so I idolize money. We, we set up idols everywhere. And what happens is in this season, as we head into the election season, what happens is when our idols begin to get grabbed a hold of by political forces, and right now it's political, but it could be family, it could be people at work, it could be neighbors. But when people grab a hold or, or touch our idols, man, we, we just infuse, we just get bent out of shape, we just work ourselves up. And what's happening in an election season is essentially there are idols that people set up in their lives. And politicians and pollsters, they come in, they figure out what words and what combinations of words are going to move and stir your heart. And they say, man, the other guy is going to tear down your idol. You, you better be careful. This is the greatest election ever. And this is the only time it's ever going to happen. There's never going to be another election. I know some of you that have been around a little while, you've probably heard that every four years for the last, you know, 30 or 50. But, but the point is, is that they, they work us up to say, you've got to do what we say because your idol could get hurt. We talked about the idol of safety and security. We've talked about the idol of wealth and finance and how that plays in. And uh, today I want to talk to us about really the kind of the crux of it, which is the idol of self. The idol of self. Each one of us, the reason we can be manipulated and moved, the reason that we can put other things before God, is that we have at the deep core of our being this idea that, that the real main thing that needs to be is my own joy, my own happiness, my own peace. And what happens is because we're all fighting for self, then we end up allowing others to come in and make promises and sway us and move us to do and say things that we really shouldn't do or say or we really don't even want to. But because we feel like our self is under attack, then we have to fight back. And so what I want to talk to us about today is this what's in it for me attitude. What's in it for me? You see, if we could take a lot of, we could do this all day and just take different political positions and see where the what's in it for me comes out in advertising or in argument. But let's take finances as an example. One side says the goal of your finances should be to get more things for yourself by having the wealthy pay for it. Basically, let's just keep adding, 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 and somebody else will take care of it. 
And so there's some part, some side of, of American politics that go, you know, yeah, isn't that terrible? How can people just expect things but expect others to pay for them? But then the other party essentially says, hey, your main goal should be to pay as little as possible into the system and let others who are having a hard time just fend for themselves. Well, essentially, let somebody else pay for it. And so that's just one issue. But the, the core on both sides is you got to worry about you. And, and you need to focus on making sure you're not contributing very much to others. Both parties are doing it. And the reason is, is because they know that people care most about what's in it for me. What is the self here? You could do this with race, class, socioeconomic status, religion or no religion, mask or no mask, on and on and on. It's all about self. What's going to be good for you? What's going to be good for me? And we've got to realize that we worship a God who calls us to care for the other. And we cannot both be Christian and a worshiper of self. We can't. We, we can't both say, Lord, I worship you and I give my life to you and I'm all about you. At the same time, we're saying, yeah, but I'm going to make all my decisions about me. What's in it for me? Romans chapter 12, Jesus or, speaks to this in Romans chapter 12. And it says this, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Everybody say genuine. Genuine. I always love that phrase because when, when you say it, let love be genuine, what's the, what's the contrapositive? What's the opposite of what he's saying? There can be a what? A fake love. Let love be genuine. Why? Because love can be faked. Love can be false. Love, people can, can, can fool you and you can fool yourself. And so the call is to let love be genuine. And then we're going to see what does that genuine love look like? Is it all about self? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You want to win something? You want to be better than someone else? You, you want to get right and say, you know what, Lord? What is, what is one, one thing I could work on that, that would make the Lord pleased and would please people around me? What if I played a little game in my day-to-day -day life with the people around me and I said, I'm going to beat them in showing honor. I'm, I'm going I'm to beat them in showing honor. One of the great things about having good friends who love you is that when you go to pay a bill, you're, you're not sitting at the restaurant, you know, trying to figure out, oh man, I better go ahead and, and get, figure out my part because I know this cheapskate's going to try to take one from me, right? But then you go with people that maybe don't love you as much or you're not really sure what the relationship looks like and everybody's sitting there trying to count pennies and make sure they get the least out of it, right? But have you ever had a relationship, had a friend that was just always trying to outdo an honor? Like they just genuinely, they walk up and you know they probably spent 12, 13 bucks on their meal, but they throw a 20 down and you're like, wow, that's awesome. Or, or, or even better, somebody that every once in a while just grabs the whole check and doesn't talk about it, doesn't make a big deal about it, just takes care of you. Why? It's just it's outdoing one another in honor. Just saying, I honor you. You're valuable. You matter to me. I care. But guess what? You can't, you can't outdo one another in honor if your priority for worship is self. You just can't. When you're all about you, you will not become a person who works hard to outdo one another with honor. You just won't. 
Because what you'll do is in every situation, you're going to try to get down to the bare bones of it all and say, what's in it for me? How do I win in this? You know what destroys marriages? What's in it for me? How do I win? What destroys relationships, friendships? What's in it for me? Because at the end of the day, somebody said something and, and what's in it for me is I can't let that go. I can't let that one get one up on me. I, I, can't, I can't let you win here. And when people get like that, the idol of self creeps up and it destroys harmony. And that's what the text gets us to is this idea of harmony. But it goes on, do not be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Earlier when I mentioned just with Caleb playing today and just how every single one of us has a gift. It's not just the ploy of some pastor or preacher or elder in a church to say, hey, everybody should serve. It's not for the organization. It's for you. It's for you to tap into the giftedness that God has put inside of you. And so to be slothful and lazy, to, be, uh, to, to not serve the Lord with everything, you're losing out. And so if I care about you, I'm telling you, hey, serve, find a place because it's helpful to you. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Your version may say affliction. Be consistent. Be constant in prayer. We have this verse over our dining room table at the house. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. If that's all you focused on this week was that one verse, those three things, man, your week would be so much better than last week. I promise. Because here's the deal, in hope, Lord, I know you're going to do good things. Lord, I know you're good. Lord, I know you care. Lord, I know you're with me. Lord, I know you go before me. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, Lord, it didn't go my way, but that's all right. You're still good. You're still God. You still care. Nothing changed. I'm, I'm, I'm not winning at the moment. But every good book, every good movie, every good story, the, the, the victory has to come because there's adversity. So Lord, right now I'm in the middle of adversity. That's all that's happening. I'm rejoicing in hope, but I'm patient in affliction in the middle. Be faithful. Be constant in prayer. Lord, I'm going to talk to you in the middle of all of it. Lord, I have hope in you. I'm patient going through the hard time. And I want to communicate all the way through. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to go hide. I'm not going to go to, to my bedroom and cry and suck my thumb. I'm going to talk to you about it. It changes your week. changes your life. Do those simple things to not be about self. You know what a, uh, the opposite of that is? Rejoicing in hope. What if you just rejoice in despair? You ever meet somebody that rejoices in despair? It's like you can't get through three sentences without a negative comment. You know, it's just like, man, it's a beautiful day. Yeah, but it's a little chilly and the heat's not on right now. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it good, the game's on. Yeah, it, it conflicts with uh, my nail appointment. And it's just like everything. We've got to have a counter. We've got to have a negative. What does it look like to be anxious in tribulation? I think we all know what that feels like, right? I had a plan, God. The idol of Tali had a plan. And how dare you change what the idol of Tali has decided, declares the Tali God. And so we get anxious. We say, well, why, why are you worked up? Well, because it's not going my way. Really? Like, you really, you seriously, you've lived this many years of your life, and you're surprised that the day's not going the way you thought it would. Like, this bothers you. 
Like you seriously have lived this long on planet Earth and it really throws you for a loop that your day is different. You see, we set up the idol of self. It's not saying that self-care or self-worth or or looking out for for good things, that's not a negative. It's just that, because I told you each week, when a good thing becomes a God thing, becomes a bad thing. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Everybody say contribute. Contribute. See, the idol of self is all about consume. Worship in the Lord, we contribute. We find a way to bless others to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It doesn't just say show hospitality, which it absolutely could and it'd be fine and we could preach through it. But what is the word? Seek. Pursue. Right? Seek. Everybody say seek. Seek to show hospitality. Isn't that a different spin? Do you understand the difference there? It's like, like it's not just about, hey, Tolly, when somebody comes and asks you to be nice to them, I, I expect you to open up your home and be nice. No, no, no. It's seek out ways. One of the best things is when God has blessed you and, and, and you have a little set aside or a little extra, and, and, and one of the best things is just when you hear a need and the only thing you have in response is not, oh, well, I'll pray for you. It is so good when you're able to go, oh, that's the hurdle you're having? We, we could fix that. Come on, let's go fix that. And one of the greatest joys that Christy and I have gotten in our, in our marriage and our life is just when, when there is a need that rises up, to be able to just go do it. Not talk about it, not pounce on it, not, not advertise it. No, we don't put it on Facebook. We don't take pictures with people that we helped and go, hey, today I had the great privilege of helping. No. Just do it. And that overflow, in, listen, here's what happens for you. In the middle of caring for others, in the middle of meeting needs, in the middle of being generous as a person, you begin to realize that the God of the universe used you as an answer to someone's prayer. And someone had a need and they said, man, I just, man, Lord, if you would just move mountains and if you would just do a miracle, if you would just do great things. And because you were tapped into the spirit of God, because you were listening to the Holy Spirit of God, because you were willing to say yes, you were prepared, you took care of your resources properly and you're, it's there. And then you hear of a need and you're able to say, oh, Lord, you're calling me to meet this need. You see, sometimes we mysticize this stuff so much so that none of us ever do anything. We mysticize generosity. We mysticize prayer to the point that we're frozen. And we're just like, well, if there's not a fireball from heaven and a flash of light and I don't go blind, how do I know it's God? We mysticize it. What it is is, Lord, I'm having a need that I I can't meet. And I don't know where it's going to come from. But I don't have it. I'm at the end of my rope. I can't financially do it. I I can't physically meet this. I I don't know. So Lord, I'm placing this before you. But Lord, in the middle, here's what I'm doing. What I'm doing, Lord, is is I'm, I'm rejoicing in you. I'm rejoicing in hope. I'm believing that you're good. Your promises haven't changed because I have this need. And so what I'm going to do, Lord, is I'm going to be right here and I'm going to be worshiping you and I'm going to be giving you praise in the middle of it all. But Lord, this is what I've got going on. And and Father, I'm going to be patient in my tribulation. My tribulation is not going to be a reason for me to abandon my walk with God. My tribulation is not going to be a reason you're going to catch Tolly Wilgus walking away from the Lord. 
Tell you're having a hard time. Like, where's God? Like, watch, wait. Why? Because I have confidence in him. I have hope in him. I have a belief in him. And in the middle of my tribulation, I'm not going to add to it by running and getting crazy. What I'm going to do is turn around and just say, Lord, I'm being patient in the middle of this storm. But when you're able to, to meet the need, when it says seek to show hospitality, seek it. Don't, don't just let, let it have to fall in your lap and the stars have to move. No, no, you seek it out. Find ways to be generous to people. If you're jotting notes down, write this down. Genuine love is the active practice of sacrificing self for another. Genuine love is the active practice of sacrificing self for the love of another. You see, but this isn't normal, church. This isn't, this isn't novel, I mean, or unique to Jesus. Luke 6 is another place where he says it. Luke 6, 27, goes like this. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, after, to offer the other also. And for the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. I've been listening to a rapper named Toby Nganwe, and uh, he's from Nigeria, but he's, he's, he's a rapper, and he's got this song, and uh, it's called Try Jesus, and he says, try Jesus, but not me, because I throw hands, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, Christy's like, that is your theme song, <laughs> but it's, it's amazing, Spotify it. But no, he says, I know what the scripture says. He goes, but that's one place I'm still having a hard time. (laughs) Verse 32, but look what it says. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is this to you? Even sinners will lend to sinners to get back the same amount, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and, you'll be, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. You see, that's the opposite of the idol of self. The idol of self says everything's going to be on my terms all the time and I'll never take a loss and I'll hold vengeance out ready for you and I'm going to fight and I'm going to pounce and I'm going to make sure people feel my pain. But Jesus says, hey, I I, I want you to be different. Here's the facts if you're jotting notes. Here's the facts. Jesus is not just an ideal. Jesus is an example. You see, an ideal is just like, yeah, I, I, I'm sure some of, somebody, you know, Jesus lived a perfect life. He, he loved people. He cared about people. That sounds great. When, when you just look at God that way and you say, yeah, I'll worship because I don't want to go to hell. And, 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 but Jesus is just an ideal. I mean, that's idealism. That's too good to be true. How can we ever achieve that? And when you get sucked into that mentality, what happens is you say it's okay to set up two different gospels. You say it's okay to set up one gospel where Jesus is the ideal. That's ideally how it should happen. But hey, we're not perfect. You hear this all the time. It drives me crazy. Of course not perfect. Nobody's ever saying you've got to 
but he's more than an ideal. Jesus served as our example to say, hey, this is possible. Does it involve, what does it involve? It involves surrender. It involves sacrifice. It involves not always looking out for yourself. But it's more than an ideal. Idealism kills us because what we end up doing is just say, why try? That's that's a, a place I can't reach. That's a place I can't go. That's too perfect. And as a result, I, why try? And here's you think what you're doing is just giving yourself a break. And you think you're just giving yourself grace. But what you're really doing is saying, if I'm not even going to try to reach the ideal, then I can have a whole different hypocrisy story going on. Because I can just go ahead and live however I want over here. And if anybody ever questions why that doesn't look like Jesus, I can just go, well, that's an ideal. And what we as Christ followers have to do is inhabit the footsteps of Jesus. We, we've got to say, you know what? That's what he called me to. And yeah, it's difficult. But guess when it's the most difficult? It's the most difficult when I'm still worshiping at the altar and the idol of self. That's when it's the most difficult. I've learned that as Christy and I have matured in our marriage and just matured in life, period. And I see this in other couples that I deeply respect. When you're young, it's like every single thing deserves a sword fight. Like every little word, every little uncomfortable, every little I wouldn't have said it that way, every little thing, toilet paper going the wrong way, and the wrong way is under, just in case you were wondering. But... (laughs) But when all of that happens, when, when all of that happens, somebody's going to throw an extra buck in the offering. When, when all of that happens, what happens is you end up just creating more friction. You think you're solving stuff because you're just like, well, if they just know. It's like, bro, sis, you've been fighting about that for three years. Do you think one more time telling the other person? And so we, we, what I've seen is that we notice that one of the things is that we abandon self a little quicker these days. We kind of say what we got to say. We feel it. We feel that heat in our chest. And then we just go, all right, let's move. Because it doesn't do us any good to worship at the altar of self. I need to be worshiping Jesus. And part of the way I worship Jesus is the way that I speak and love and talk to other people. Jesus isn't just an ideal. Philippians chapter 2 says he humbled himself. He took on the form of a man. He took on the sin of mankind. He took on the penalty for that sin which he took on. He died so that we could have life. He constantly humbled himself. We can live selfless or selfish. And here's the real question you have to ask, a very simple one. Every single day you can ask, Am I following Jesus? It's so easy to say you're a Jesus follower. But the way it's seen is whether or not you actually follow Jesus. You see, Jesus, because Jesus leads us to humility. Are we following those footsteps? Jesus leads us to sacrifice. Can we look in our lives and say, well, we're sacrificing anything right now? Jesus leads us to take on the sin of man, which means to, to, that, that for me, To basically say, look, I'm not going to soak up every offense. Some of them I'm just going to eat. 
He took on the penalty for that sin. He died to give us life. Are we following? Are we laying our lives down like Jesus? John 14, 15 says this. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commands. You will keep my commandments. Jesus said this, not me. And then he says in another place, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. John 10. So which voice are we hearing, church? Which voice do we hear with our lives? Which voice do we follow? The voice of Jesus or the voice of self? Each day when I wake up, am I going to the voice of Jesus or am I going to the voice of self? And and if you've walked with God at all, if you read your Bible at all, you will have these competing balanced issues. Now listen, if you're not walking with God, if you're not in prayer, if you're not reading the scriptures, don't be surprised that you have no clue what it means to have an argument going on. You have no clue because you just go, well, every day I wake up, it's all about Tali. It's all about me in the morning. It's all about me at lunch. It's all about me in the evening. And as a result, when it's all about me at the end of the day, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. They have competing voices. I, I don't know what you mean, an inward struggle. Like that, what does that mean? If you don't even understand what that means, it's a good chance you're not intentionally diving into the Word. You're not intentionally in prayer. You're not intentionally asking God to change you. And maybe that's where you start. But don't sit back and say, well, I don't feel that conflict. And so therefore, you know, you're weird. No, no, no. If you don't feel the conflict, it's probably because you're not trying to walk and pursue a life with Jesus. But when you do and as you do, self always creeps in. Self always steps up. Self always tries to show itself. And as a result, you end up with inward conflict. But Jesus says, listen, you're going to hear my sheep hear my voice. And they'll never be plucked out of the Father's hand. So which voice do we answer? Verse 14, Romans 12, verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Everybody say bless. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. You know, like the expression high church, right? Don't don't be haughty. Don't, Don't set yourself apart so much. Associate with the lowly. Show yourself to be a part of every. Can you imagine? I mean, this is just the wild for me. Like we have the God of the universe. Our theology says that the God of the universe was perfect and infinite and just spoke everything into existence. He had nothing wrong. No sin whatsoever. Like, like he's, whatever you feel like the upper crust of society is like go a a million miles and then there's God holy and just and pure and righteous and incredible and he's the one that humbles himself to come down and then look what happens on planet earth then we establish a group of followers they were called the way early on just the, the the people that follow the ways of that Jesus guy the the way goes from being a group of people where the God of the universe came down and he picked the less educated, he picked a diverse group of people, fishermen and and average people, tax collector, nobody liked them, picks this vagabond group, puts them together, and he says, hey, through you, I'm going to build my church. They all doubt him. 
Like they, they basically abandoned, even the best ones among the bunch abandoned him. But he still comes back and he builds, it, builds up the church through them. And so as a result, as a result, that's the beginning of the church. And then all of a sudden we start to put on robes. We start to wear collars. We start to dress fanciful. We deck everything out in gold. And you can go now and do tours of incredible basilicas all over Europe that have next to zero Christians worshiping. Because we took what was to be an example of a God of everything who would shed everything that was rightly owed to him and come down to a puny people that didn't even know how to stay awake with him while he prayed. Started this faith. And then they fancified it. And we codified this idea of power. We codified this idea of upper crust. We codified this idea, I'm better than you. And now the world looks and they just go, I'd love, the, I'd love to know God. But I can't stand those people. But this is what he calls those people to. Bless. Listen to this and ask, can we say that we're this? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You see, does that describe the church and can that describe and should that describe and will we let it describe the church in us? If you're jotting notes, write this down. Peace is possible when God's power is personal. Peace is possible when God's power is personal. Galatians 5 talks about that war that wages for the desires of flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. To be Jesus first means to put others first. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For if by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Genuine love, church, is finding peace where others want to make war. The reality is, is that hurt people hurt people. And people are professionals when it comes to projecting. 
you will find in life that most of the anxiety that rages up against you most of the time, so long as you're walking with the Lord and you haven't been a jerk, but you'll find that people will bow up once in a while and a lot of times they're just hurt. And a lot of times they're projecting. And so you have to be mature enough. Peace is possible. It's not going to be possible because everybody's nice to you. If that's what you're looking for in peace, forget it. Good luck. But if peace can be possible because the power of God is in you, you could say, Lord, I want to rise above it and I want to treat people right and I want to love people and I want to follow you and I want to hear your voice and I want to do what you say. And as a result, I'm going to be a good person to the people around me, not because I'm trying to be artificially good, just because I'm responding to what you've asked me to do for everybody, even the people that are mean to me. Have you ever seen the puffer fish? The puffer fish, little tiny fish has hardly nothing to contribute to the world. You have no idea why it's there. There's some t- Anybody going to get to heaven and just going to say, God, seriously, can you tell me what mosquitoes were for? <laughs> like, you ever think about that? Like, just, just why? Like, it's here, but why? But the puffer fish, like, it's got no ability to do anything. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you have to look at people like puffer fish. You start seeing people get worked up and their faces getting red, you know, and just go, that's okay, puff out, you know. Puffer fish. What they do is they inflate themselves beyond what is, they're just floating around, stay away from me, this is my space. Many of them have little porcupines on them, you know. And what we want to do is when people bow up or when people puff up, we want to go and attack. Guess how you get hurt with a, Hoverfish. It's on the attack. What you got to learn to do is just say, Lord, help me. This person's trying to be a pufferfish. And I could go back on attack or I could sit back and just let them look ridiculous. The scripture says, be kind even to the ones that are trying to be mean. Can you, you see the different play there? Like, oh, you're going to puff up? Let's fight. Or, Oh, you're puffing up. That's cute. You were hurt. And you're hurting now. And I must have stepped on a nerve somewhere. But go ahead, float. Show me how big you are. I've got God's power. And I walk with Him. And I'm not intimidated by everything. And I don't have to pop every puffer fish that comes along. The scripture actually defines that attitude as is if you're look if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head even with the people opposed to us even with our enemy by having the power of god by having prayer, by being patient, even with people opposed. We can heap burning coals on their head simply by being kind. Not having to defend the idol of self. The insecure need to tell you how big they are. But the Christian knows how big their God is. The insecure have to tell you how big they are. But the Christian, they just simply know. They're secure in who their God is. Let's not be led astray by the idol of self. 
Let's not have the need to have everything be about us. Let's find peace that comes from God and share that peace with the world around us, even when the world stands against your own preferences. Let's highlight the fact that we don't rely, have to rely on getting our own way, but actually living God's way. Genuine love is finding peace in God, even when others can't find peace with you. Genuine love is being able to have peace with God, even when it feels like others aren't at peace with you. Love anyway. Love anyway. It's a great motto to live by. Love anyway. There's going to be some people in life that you have to create distance. Maybe they're hurtful. Maybe they don't have good boundaries. You could do that. And you should do that. In a lot of cases. But at the core of who you are and at the core of who I am, what if we just loved anyway? What if we said, I'm not going to let the idol of self get attacked? What if you watch that next political ad and you go, ah, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to make me hate my neighbor who thinks differently about a policy position. You're, you're trying to make me hate my neighbor because they wouldn't vote for that nominee or because they would vote for that nominee. You're trying to hate my neighbor, make me hate my neighbor because they have a different yard sign than I put up. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be confident in who God made me to be. Let's love anyway. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your, your word today. We thank you so much for reminding us that it's not about us. At the end of the day, if we're followers of Jesus, then we're, we're not also worshipers of self. And so, God, there's going to be things that don't go our way. Help us to be patient. Help us to be, to be hopeful. Help us to be kind and loving. And God, even at the times when people come up against us, help us to be confident, not in ourselves, but confident in you. God, you've called us to, to, to love you. You've called us to honor you. You've called us to worship you. You haven't called us to try to fight every puffer fish that comes along. Help us, God, in this election season to be the people that our neighbors uh, know more for the, we're, because we're for love rather than what we're against or who we're against. Help us, Father, to live a life that is glorifying to you and that lifts you up. In the name of Jesus, we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Can we thank God this morning for his word?